really the last week and a half of Jesus' life as we move up to the, the cross and the resurrection, uh, the climax of the Christian faith for us. And so today we're going to talk about Zacchaeus, and uh, it's a great story about, about a man who is on a journey to what are really true riches, because riches are not money, and riches are not stuff, because we all know that you can have stuff, and you can have money and be miserable. Now, we all like stuff and money, right? Because it makes us comfortable. We love comfort. I, don't, I think everybody here loves comfort, especially Chris Capley. Uh, uh, we all, we do, We're, and we have it. We have a great deal of comfort. Zacchaeus is one of those men that is experiencing unhappiness, although he is rich. So this is the story, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Oh, let's pray for a minute. Uh, I, I want us to pray, not for the sermon. Uh, I want us to pray for Eric. Eric is having surgery in the morning to put a stent. No, not a stent. They're going to put a tube into his liver so it'll drain correctly. Uh, he was able to regain, start chemo again on Wednesday, so that's, that's good. That's progress. But uh, the stent that they put into his bile duct is still not draining well, so he's going to have surgery. I don't know about you, but every surgery is scary if you're, ha- if you're the one having it. Uh, so let's pray for him. Father, in Jesus' name, we're glad that you're on the throne, you're with us, and you care about us. And we pray that you would be with Eric and with Crystal during this time of surgery. Guide the doctors. Lord, we ask for success and healing, restoration in Jesus' name. Amen. And continue to pray for Shelley. You know, Shelley is our children's pastor. And Shelly's father passed away this week, and so she's not here today. They're in Oklahoma uh, dealing with uh, her father's funeral. So be in prayer for Shelly and Jim as they travel. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He, being, and Jesus is who the he is, entered Jericho. You know, we know a lot about Jericho. I mean, you know, we've heard a lot about Jericho from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There's a lot about Jericho. Jericho is one of the oldest cities on earth. Uh, it was the, they say it was the first walled city. It was, it was the first city that had a tower in the wall. Uh, archaeology is saying that, that uh, it's about 8,000 years old. It's been resettled about 23 times. It's been rebuilt. So it's, it's an old city, ancient city. Jesus entered Jericho. It's in Samaria. It's not, you know, it's about... 17 miles from Jerusalem, and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So it tells us three things about Jesus, not Jesus, about Lazarus, a lot more things about Jesus. First, he was a chief tax collector, which means that he had power, and he had importance, so he was he was an important person because he wasn't just a tax collector, and they had a tremendous amount of power, just like the tax collectors that we encounter have a tremendous amount of power, don't they? I got a letter this week from the IRS, and that always makes me break out in a sweat until I see what it is, you know, and it's that I, I didn't fill out a form correct. I didn't actually fill the form on time, they said. 
So, of course, it, I didn't if they said I didn't. So, Although I think I did, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, so he had power and importance, and he was rich. It, it makes that note. It says this about him, that he was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. So there's two things about Zacchaeus' life that we see. And the third thing is that Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he was short. So three things. He was important. He was powerful. He was rich. And he was short. Which the, the Bible adds that to the commentary, which is interesting, I think. Now, his greed had brought him wealth. It also separated from, separated and to be in league with Rome put him outside of his ability to be in relationship with Jewish people. In other words, he'd been rejected. He would be rejected by all the Jewish community because of what he was doing. Because they, uh, collecting taxes for Rome was like a franchise. And him being the head tax collector, he was making sure that everyone collected enough taxes. He was not necessarily the one doing the collecting, but he was making sure that it was being done. And the individual tax collectors could, in a sense, collect whatever they thought was appropriate. They could change the tax rate. And because that by this time in the nation of Israel, most everyone had lost whatever property they had. Anyone who wasn't of wealth had lost their property to Rome through the taxes. And so you can imagine there's, you know, everybody hates the bank that takes the farm, right? So everybody hated Rome for what they were doing to the individual families and taking away their lifelong wealth. He was a traitor to his people. He had he was a thief because he was taking more than, than he should have taken. He was lining the pockets, his pockets, on other people's pain. He was rich, so that brought him luxury, it brought him comfort, but it hadn't brought him peace. He was rich and comfortable on the outside, but he wasn't happy on the inside. He he was missing something. He was sick in his soul from living the way he had been living. And he knew it. And he thought he had reached the point of no return. There was no going back to the God of his childhood. Maybe of his parents and his grandparents. The greed and the loneliness had taken its toll. He had wealth, but he had no one to share it with. He, he darkened his soul to the point that to him it seemed hopeless. He was lost. Hopelessly lost. And he knew it. I love this line uh, in Charles Dickens' uh, a Christmas Carol describing Ebenezer Scrooge. It says this, Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. I think that described Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus carried the shame and the guilt like the weight it was, and it stooped him and made him even shorter than he was. He was rich, but he was empty. And there was a longing in his soul that his great wealth had not filled. There was something missing. So he wanted to see Jesus because he'd been hearing about this Jesus. Just before this, Jesus had healed a man that he knew in Jericho, had been blind his whole life, Bartimaeus. 
He had heard that this Jesus had done incredible things. He had also heard through the grapevine that a lot of tax collectors had quit collecting taxes because of Jesus. That many tax collectors, Levi, Matthew, one of the disciples being one of them, had laid down and moved away from their tax collecting booths and had instead followed Jesus because he wanted to see Jesus. And something stirred within him. It, something, this hopelessness that he had felt, this, this, that there's no way out of this. There was just a glimmer of hope that began to shine in his heart. And so he, he climbed up a sycamore tree. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree and ordered to see him for he was about to pass through the way. Now, that's not a thing that rich, important people do, right? Not a, lot of, not a lot of decorum in climbing a tree. But he was desperate. This, you see some of the desperation of his soul in the, in the humility that he's willing to take. He's willing to be humbled so that he can see Jesus. He believes that something can happen if he sees Jesus When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. Zacchaeus is like, yes, because Jesus called his name. Amazing thing happened when Jesus calls your name. Acceptance, hospitality. Because when Jesus said, I'm going to come to your house, in the Middle Eastern culture, this acceptance, this was the accusation that they made against Jesus, this acceptance of someone's eating with them was saying, I'm saying this person's okay. They didn't like for Jesus to say that sinners were okay. So much so, when they saw it, They all begin to grumble, saying, he's going to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. They. Who's they? You know, it's the Pharisees, it's the crowd, it's people. I want to encourage you to never accept criticism from the anonymous they. They'll always be there. They're going to be at your work. You know, they're saying, who's they? Well, they can never really qualify who it is. A lot of times the they is them, but they don't have the courage to be them, so they want to be they. If they don't have the courage to be named, don't even pay attention to their accusations. Never be a representative for they. If you have aught with somebody, if someone's offended you, you should always go to that person individually and not represent it as a they. You know, they're all upset. Who's all upset? Well, I can't say. I can't say who they are. You know, I have to protect them. Then don't represent them. Don't represent people that you can't actually say, listen, 
I'm upset, Bill's upset, and Bob's upset. We're all upset. What do you, where, then where are Bill and Bob? Go get them and we'll talk about it. Let's don't talk about what other people are saying unless they're actually saying it. That, and we cause a lot of conflict. This, is, this causes a lot of conflict for us because we, we, we don't speak to the people that we should speak to about when we have conflict with them. And so we allow other people to use us. So ne- I'm just saying, never let they represent you. They'll use you and they'll abandon you when confrontation and repercussions come. They're cowards. They are cowards. And they're accusers. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So always have, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we're, we're all, we all need confrontation. All of us. We all need to be confronted by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God and by people who love us. None of us are perfect and none of us are doing things perfectly. And so we always have to be open to change and to the reality that we've made a mistake or we've said something that we shouldn't have said. That happens. We all have to be confronted. And nobody's an exception to that. Except Jesus. (laughs) But we're not. I'm not. We have to be confronted, but we need to be confronted biblically by the people who are actually offended, not by the people who say that it's the they. So they, the Pharisees are upset. This, and we've seen this before as we've been looking through the life of Jesus. We see this is a common thread. The religious community is upset because they don't like that Jesus is reaching out to sinners. They don't like that. They want him to, they want him to stay away from sinners and focus his attention on them. And Jesus is saying, listen, I've come, I didn't come for the well, I came for the physicians. Now, what, the problem with the Pharisees is that they didn't know they were sick. They had the same sickness of sin that the sinners had. They just didn't recognize it. The difference is that the sinners knew they were sick. The tax collectors and the prostitutes knew, I've got a problem. I'm separated from God. Jesus is here. He says I can get back to God. I'm following him. And so he had an appeal. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Matthew eleven nine, 9. 19. This is Jesus responding in the message. I came feasting, and they called me a lush. A friend of the riffraff. <laughs> I like that. Opinion polls don't count much, do they? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Jesus is, Jesus, the New American Standard said, wisdom is vindicated by her actions. So Jesus' actions vindicate him because he's bringing people to Christ. This is a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. Before this event, this is interesting, Jesus talks about the, the Pharisee, the righteous person, and the tax collector who come to God in prayer. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. See what? So the Pharisees believed that their, their actions had made them righteous. Here's what we believe. We believe that the action of Christ has made us righteous. What Christ did by living a sinless life and then dying our death 
through that and then his resurrection, he is able to impute to us his righteousness. So the righteousness that we have is not really our righteousness, is it? It's been given to us as a gift of grace. So if we've received righteousness as a gift of grace, we have to be careful that we don't consider ourselves righteous and view other people with contempt. Because our right, it's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness that's been given to us by grace. So he tells this story. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. You know, the very bottom of the, the rung. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I like that because it's like he's saying, God, be merciful to me, the only sinner there is. I'm like the chief of sinners. I wonder if this was Zacchaeus. I wonder if somewhere in the weeks up to this, Zacchaeus had come to this place. This is a story of Zacchaeus in the temple crying out to God, oh God, I've messed up. I've really messed up. I've made a mess of things. Oh, can you ever forgive me? I tell you, This man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus had a reputation that preceded him. It causes them to continue to complain about him, that he how he loved sinners. What is our reputation? Does it line up with Jesus? Because you and I have a reputation. This church has a reputation. We have a reputation. People either view view us as lovers of sinners or they view us as Pharisees. Who think that they're righteous in their own selves. We need to always be making it clear that I'm a Christian by the grace of God. I'm saved by the grace of God. It wasn't my good works that God looked down on me and said, ooh, I can't wait to get this one. This one's a good one. No, that I was lost and in sin with no way out and no hope, but God in his mercy reached down and pulled me out of the pit. So I need to always be remembered that any righteousness that I have, it is not mine. It has been given to me by the work of Christ on the cross. That I rejoice in that. I celebrate that. That I have received his righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. But I didn't earn it. So we need to make sure that our reputation lines up with Christ's reputation. Zacchaeus stopped. He said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. He actually went beyond the law, the law that he would say that he would have to give him back twice as much. He doubled it. Jesus said to him, 
Today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So he gave half his possessions and Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. His giving of half of his possessions to the poor did not save him. But it was evidence that his heart had changed and he no longer served money. Ephesians says this, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you've been saved through faith that none of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. We cannot boast about how we earned our way into heaven. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. No good work, nothing that you do can do anything towards your salvation. No good work that you do prior to your salvation makes you more savable. It doesn't help. And then after you come to Christ through faith, no good work that you do after you become a Christian will make God love you more than he does. You can't earn more approval by doing good things because your approval is not based on you. It's based on Christ. So you're approved not because of what you do, but because of what Christ has done. God sees you as the righteousness of God in Christ, not your behavior. But God has preordained good works that we should walk in them. I mean, there's good stuff for us to do. There's good stuff that God wants us to do. And it won't make God love you more, and it won't make you more saved. When, but when people who are saved by grace do the works of grace that God has prepared us to do, it's a witness then to the love and grace and mercy of God. And properly done, they point people to Jesus and not to us. We're not doing it in such a way that people say, well, aren't they really good? No. What we do should point to Jesus and say, Wow. Isn't Jesus really good? Look what Jesus is doing through them. We always want to try to take any glory that seems to come to us and deflect it to Christ. Because I don't know about you, but I've never, well, I would say I'd like to say that I've never changed anybody's heart. Let me say it this way. I've never changed anybody's heart for the good. (laughs) I've ticked off quite a few people. We want to do good, not because it'll save us, not because it'll cause God to love us more, but because such good was done for us in Christ, and we've been called to do it as his followers. There is a fruit of righteousness. There is a fruit of repentance. Jesus said a good tree is going to bear good fruit. God wants us to live fruitful lives 
But it's not about earning some place in him. That was a gift. So when Zacchaeus found Jesus, he found life. He found what he was missing. He was rich and he was powerful. He was short and he was miserable. The possessions that he had, the wealth that he had, and the power that he had didn't fill the longing in his soul. But when Zacchaeus was found by Jesus, and Jesus, he found the fullness that was missing. We do too. Like Zacchaeus, there's many things we try to substitute to try, try to fill up the longings in our soul. Success and power. We, we really believe that success and power are the answer. We see a lot of successful and powerful people that having once reached the top are still miserable people. It doesn't, it doesn't answer the longing in their soul. Wealth and possessions. We, we tend to think because it's a part of our culture that if you have enough money then you'll be happy. Now money can buy you comfort. There's no doubt about that. It's great, money's a great thing to have. It's better to have cars that do run than cars that don't run. It's better to have houses with the water turned on than houses with the water turned off. It's better to have electricity. It's better in Texas, it's better to have air conditioning than not have air conditioning. And you can have all of those things and be miserable. Did you know that, as a matter of fact, as a country gets wealthier, the suicide rate goes up. Because in places where they're trying to figure out what they're going to drink today and what they're going to eat today, they don't think too much about how miserable they are. They're just trying to survive. But we have afforded ourselves such luxury that now we get to worry about every little thing in our own mental state and we often become depressed, have anxiety. We think love will solve it. I mean, there's every kind of website in the world. There's, uh, I don't even know what the names of them are. I'm sorry, I haven't looked at any of them. Uh, Give me a name of something. Come on. Christianmingle.com. Is there a sinnermingle.com? Can only, Christ, only Christians mingle? Uh, I guess that's called Tinder. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one, see? Uh, I know you swipe one way or the other. I've heard that. You swipe one way or the other. That's all I know. Thank goodness. We think someone's going to make us happy. And, and we all want companionship. That's not a bad thing. Companionship. I've been married 43 years. It's a wonderful thing. Is that right? 43 years? 42 years. It'll be 43 years in June. I'm always jumping ahead. <clears throat> so it's a wonderful thing. I love it. It's great to have companionship. But, but being married won't make you, actually, it won't make you happy. If you're not happy when you get married, then you're going to be more unhappy when you get married 
than before you got married because you thought marriage was going to make you happy and you created an expectation that marriage was going to solve your problems. And actually, marriage doesn't solve your problems. It just gives you a whole new set of problems to solve. And so now you're more unhappy than you were unmarried because you expected marriage to give you something that marriage can't give you. Marriage can't fulfill you. It can't fulfill the longings of your soul. There is no person who can complete you. That's romantic stupidity. You complete me. Only God can complete you. If you're looking for a person to do what only God can do, then you will always be disappointed in that person because they will never be enough. Only God is enough to fill the God vacuum in your soul. If Zacchaeus had climbed down from that tree and found a wife and got married, he would have been wealthy, short, married, and miserable. It wouldn't have changed. Now, he, he might have been happy for a while because we, there's a lot of things that in our life, possessions, power, wealth, they can appease our misery for a while. We're looking for validation. We're looking for acceptance. We're looking for value. We're looking for purpose. And you can't find that in a person. You can only find it in Christ. Now on the last day of the feast, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said, You're thirsty? Come to me. I'll turn you into a river. You see, that's what, you realize that's what he wants to do in us? He doesn't want to just give you enough to satisfy your little self. Just so you and I can, well, I'm saved, I'm happy, I'm complete, that's all I need. No, he, want, he doesn't want to just make you unthirsty. He wants to turn you into a river. He wants to use you to share the river of life with other people. He doesn't want you to just have enough. So that, well, you know, I've got just enough of this. I'm okay. No, he wants you to be overflowing with the fullness of life that comes in him. He wants us to find our fullness in him. And when we celebrate what he has done and who he is and what he's accomplished for us, when we realize that our salvation is by grace, not by works, when we realize that salvation has called us to do works, but still those works aren't going to make God love us more, that's already been accomplished. That we can celebrate what God has done. Zacchaeus found life. And if you haven't found it, money won't do it. Power position won't do it. Success won't accomplish it. A person certainly won't. But Jesus will. Jesus is the only one capable of filling the vacuum in our soul. Because he's the only one able to do it because he made us that way. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Salvation looks different than a lot of times we see it in the church. We think of it as an invitation coming to the front or raising your hand 
For Zacchaeus, it was climbing a tree. I'm going to start that church. To get saved, you have to climb a tree. <laughs> See, because God, God loves people in such a way that he, he wants to reach them where they are. So God wants to use us to help reach people where they are and at work and, and, and at the gym, the places that we go, the groups that we hang out with. God wants to use us in that way to, to share with them living water. But we have to have it. We have to be living water. We have to, we have to live in the, ex- the excess. Not the excess, but the, the extra that God gives us in Christ, the overflowing rivers of water, rivers of living water flowing out from us. Sometimes we're just living like we're... Like we don't have enough, but we do in Christ. We, we want to flow in his fullness. So, Father, as your people, we want to flow in the fullness of those who have living water. We don't want to be beggars who are continually dry and continually without. We want to live in the fullness of recognizing that our fullness comes not in us, but in Christ. You said in you we would flow with rivers living water. It's not a work. It's not something we can, we can force or make happen. It's because of our relationship with you and that alone. Lord, I, there's people here today that, that don't know you. And I know that there's a lot of different ways that you reach out and call people's name. And there's people here today that you're calling their name, just like you call Zacchaeus his name. They feel right now that you're calling to them. And Lord, all they have to do is say, Lord, I surrender. I humble myself. I give, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I come to you, Jesus. I recognize that I can't save myself and I need Jesus. So Father, we say that prayer. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I ask you to come into my heart and my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.